Hello, welcome to Liberal Europe, a podcast on ideas, politics and all things European, European Liberal Forum project. My name is Leszek Jaszczewski and I really hope that you enjoyed the show. My guest today is a renowned public intellectual, editorial director, rich writer and a columnist at the French newspaper Le Monde, Sylvie Kaufmann. Welcome to Liberal Europe. Hello, glad to be with you. I'm, I'm very happy to, um, that's, uh, that, that we managed to talk uh, about, uh, well, issues which are both of strategic importance, but also the latest headlines uh, in Europe and uh, the world has been dominated by, some would say, fallout of the um, President uh, Macron visits and, um, to, to China and especially his comments on the way back uh, to Les Accords and uh, slightly different uh, comments in, in Politico. Um, about, uh, well, the basically um, potential for Europe being dragged into the US Chinese conflict uh, over Taiwan and the threat of vassalization of, of Europe, um, which especially uh, over uh, in the Eastern Europe and especially in the United States, I think didn't make him very uh, many friends. Mm. So uh, we, we all know this, this, this comments, but you wrote a very very good article in, in Le Monde, but also in, in Financial Times about it, um, about strategic autonomy as well. But we, before we get to strategic autonomy, can you give us a little bit more background? What is the French position on, on China right now? Because most countries like Germany, Netherlands, of course, US trying to decouple from China. Macron had a very, well, successful red carpet visit uh, uh, with Ursula von der Leyen, which was uh, received slightly less... Uh, cordially than himself. It seems that France is trying to uh, build bridges with China when the rest of the Western world is rather trying to disentangle from China. What is the French position on, on China right now? Well, that's a very good question, of course. Uh, there are many elements uh, in, in this position. Um, I think the, 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 the fundamental position is not different from um most european countries uh are from brussels position if if it's possible to define it clearly i'm not sure but you know there's this triptych of the european position that china is uh, uh, a partner a competitor and a systemic rival right and uh, of course lately lately the 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 part uh, systemic rival has been more important than the two other elements uh, uh, because of of china's rise and china's more aggressive stand on 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 the global scene uh, and i think france agrees with this um i think um also on Taiwan, <laughs> France's position is quite clear that uh, it is in favor of the status quo. It doesn't want. It, it wants to. It favors a, a peaceful uh, solution and stability. Um, for instance, you know that there are many signs for, for supporting this position. For instance, there was a frigate, a French Navy frigate in. Um, uh, the Strait of Taiwan, when there were those uh, very uh, uh, important Chinese military exercises, uh, uh, when, when at, at the same time as Macron left uh, China uh, early April, and, and that frigate uh, crossed the waters and, and was asked by the Chinese Navy to... Um, to take another route and it refused. So, you know, in, in, on the ground, if I may say, the, the French position is clear. What happens is that Macron 
likes to make provocative statements to uh, stir the debate, if you want. And the comments he made in the plane, which were um, reported in Politico and much more in, 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 in more details, and I must say more nuanced uh, um, uh, writing uh, as Q&A in Les Echos, the, the French business newspaper, I think the main problem with them was that the timing was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> they were made, uh, uh, those statements were made just as he was uh, leaving Beijing after this three-day state visit, which, as you pointed out, was in, in, involved a lot of red carpet treatment. Um, he had made this very good uh, initiative, taken this very good initiative to um, ask Ursula von der Leyen to come with him uh, which I think was a very good idea compared to, you know, um, uh, Chancellor Scholz uh, went to Beijing in November. He was the first European leader to go um, after this long uh, COVID, zero COVID uh, period. And Macron had actually offered him to go together, but Scholz preferred to go alone because that was his first bilateral visit, etc. Et and so compared to this, you know, it was a very positive gesture to uh, take uh, the president of the European Commission along. The problem was that he, he didn't really take her along. He was not; she was not in the plane with him, because he was on a state visit. And so, as you know, the European Union is not a state, so the protocol was different. And since she had given this uh, quite firm speech a few days before that trip, uh, Mrs. Van der Leyen um, appeared as the tough one and Macron was the softer one, if you want. And yeah. so the Chinese, the difference of protocol treatment that was given by the cheese, that by the Chinese to, to uh, both of them appeared, you know, to be a sanction for her uh, clarity and, 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 and firm statements. So, you know, the whole thing was a little bit too ambiguous and not clear enough. And on top of it, uh, Macron had those statements uh, in the, they gave these interviews in the plane uh, back uh, to Paris, which um, were, you know, ill-formulated, I would say. Uh, there was too much ambiguity in his, uh, in the way he talked about the United States and, um, you know, the, the, about Taiwan, particularly, you know, when he said uh, um, the European Union shouldn't, uh, or France, yeah, the European Union shouldn't uh, be caught in conflicts which are not ours but you know it's <laughs> it's very difficult to to state that taiwan is not our conflict if if things go really wrong over taiwan there will be our conflict too right so there were a couple of um, i think ill formulated uh, uh, statements which obviously were very badly uh, received in in the rest of uh, the west Macron is, is, is very, well, smart and, and some would say even brilliant politician. I, I, I'm bad that his choice of words was intentional, especially that there is this tradition of authorization, which Politico <laughs> tried to reject. Uh, and I think it is also interesting to see the, the difference between Les Accords and, and the Politico, which tried to perhaps, uh, also highlight the, the controversy. But what I'm thinking, like, 
if I understand that Macron's idea was here not to necessarily try to alienate alienate United States, but uh, that he wanted to make a point about strategic autonomy and uh, European interests. It is his kind of ground vision he has for Europe for since perhaps he, even before he became a president. What I try to understand is that, in effect, he basically, uh, well, by by definition, alienated the uh, Eastern Europeans. I think also raised a lot of controversy among those who think that because of the war in Ukraine, it's perhaps not the best time to tell Americans we we are not your close allies. And also this Taiwan, what you what you wrote in your column, but what you what you also said uh, today. It's almost like this realistic position. Some would say that this is almost like some so-called realistic position some people take over Ukraine. That you know that Ukraine maybe it's not a, a problem of, of Brazil or or even United States. And and say to say that Taiwan, uh, that a potential aggression over Taiwan, um, it's not European affairs. It's it's a question of UN Charter, for example, the rule-based order. I'm wondering what he. What he really wanted to achieve. I don't know if actually in France it was controversial by itself, what he said, or the reaction to to this that it's uh, making people aware that this is maybe not the best best way to approach strategic sovereignty. Mm -hmm. How do you you see this? I can't imagine that he made it just off the cuff, you know, without understanding what that would cause, especially that I agree with you. Von der Leyen was very important to take her on the trip, but because they were on completely different separated kind of trips in, in reality, it also didn't show European unity, which Macron is expressing. Why do you think he, he did it? Um, just to stir controversy? It seems almost in, impossible to me. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the first, uh, some of us, our first reaction was, okay, he's doing again this uh, NATO brain dead statement. You remember this controversy yeah. in 2019 when he said, uh, um, NATO is a brain dead uh, organization, and you know, in retrospect, I think that comment was positive because it really stirred a debate. And um, you know, uh, of course, NATO today is very strong, um, and 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 France is very happy in this NATO, in this uh, within this strong NATO. So. But I think this one was not the same, uh, this, uh, this um, controversy. And, and the evidence of this is that uh, a couple of days later, when he went to uh, the Netherlands on a state visit, he did correct the statements during the press conference with uh, Mark Rutte. So, um, you know, he had to go back to it because questions were asked and uh, by, by, by the journalist, and he had to say, um, to state, much more clearly France's position about China and Taiwan. So that shows that it was, you know, uh, not so well calculated, uh, that interview. I think he, you know, what got lost, unfortunately, in that controversy is his stand on strategic autonomy, as you say, because what uh, his point, I think, (laughs) uh, is uh, that it's not equidistance. Europe shouldn't be equidistant between uh, the U.S. and China, of course not. But that France, uh, sorry, that Europe should have autonomy within the Western bloc. You know that the the, the world uh, because of the war. You know the war in Ukraine has accentuated this trend. 
of, of two blocks, one Western bloc and uh, Russia, which is being pushed into China's arms. And uh, Europe should, within that Western alliance, should have more autonomy um, to assert its identity in a, in a better way and to be able to defend itself, which uh, the, Ukraine, the war in Ukraine has shown that it is not able to do this. Of course, without the United States, um, Europe wouldn't be able to defend itself against Russia at the moment, and Ukraine probably would uh, be, you know, uh, in a very, very difficult, much more difficult position than it is today. So I don't think uh, Macron denies this. He spoke to Biden before he left for China. He spoke to Biden again, I think also to correct uh, some uh, uh, those misunderstandings um, after he came back. And But, you know, he wants, he would like to make this argument that others are making in Brussels too, that a stronger Europe is a better ally for the United States and a, a stronger Europe is making the Western alliance stronger. This is the argument he should be making much more clearly. And of course, that uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think he succeeded so much because by doing this blunder, he encouraged uh, the um, adversaries of strategic autonomy to speak stronger. Like, and, and we saw that immediately with uh, Mateusz Morawiecki when he went to Washington and immediately attacked France and Germany, which is not very nice to do when you go to the United States. But that's another story, I guess. Yeah, that's, uh, I totally agree with you. It's what's, what I found striking that we are talking about strategic autonomy. And uh, at the same time, it almost seems like Macron played a game he's been praised by Chinese press. He almost, you know, uh, almost did what she could have only, you know, imagined that to, to, to divide the, the West and divide also European Union. And at the same time, Morawiecki is going there and only is um, doing exactly the same what Poland did uh, during the Iraq war. So showing that there's like a new Europe. You can just call them and they will come, right? Kind of <laughs> whistle. Uh, I think this is because he, he met his visit a couple of days uh, ahead of, of the planned trip. To And I think also it speaks for a weakness of relative weakness of, of uh, US uh, strategic partnership within Europe that they have to call Morawiecki because I'm afraid that Morawiecki is not seen even in Poland as a you know major figure in the foreign, uh, foreign affairs uh, abroad. So... It it's almost seems that we, we have this nice concept, which we like discussing also in the ECFR, but in reality, this is American tanks and, and money and, and weapons going to Ukraine. Uh, then we go to China to talk about strategic autonomy, or we talk to Washington to talk about it. It's, it seems it's more a concept than a reality. And I'm wondering, do you think that the framing, the way that Macron is doing, is it like the... Because I think he also said in Netherlands that Oh, some people say strategic autonomy, it's another French idea, kind of like a Gaullist idea, I suppose, you know. Uh, but uh, do you think that this is possible to frame it in a slightly different way? That it doesn't seem so anti-American, because autonomy from whom, <laughs> I would say? Is it autonomy or maybe sovereignty? It's a better uh, word. Uh, I understand that we want to be kind of independent power, but uh, it's a question, if you frame it as auto it's an autonomy from United States, that means that uh, this is 
basically your first targets, right? Not not China, not Russia, but but United States. You have to disentangle from United States. Do you think that uh, it is maybe this? Some people say the old French prejudice against United States, or yeah. do you think that this is really what we should be doing? And Macron and Fran and French uh, establishment thinks, yeah, we, we are too dependent on United States. We should we should start with United States. Uh, this uh, path. Yeah, well, there, there are many uh, elements to this debate. Uh, one, one thing is the, is the French element, as you put it very well. Uh, of course, it would be much better if other people than Macron were defending strategic autonomy. I think uh, uh, some officials in, in, in Brussels are doing it. Um, I mean, Borrell, Joseph Borrell is doing it. Uh, Thierry Breton, of course, you may say Thierry Breton is French, so it's not. <laughs> He's the French commissioner. Uh, but Breton is doing it, I think, in an interesting way because it's, it touches industrial autonomy, right? And, and we have, and of course, when Macron is talking about it, there's always this suspicion that because France is, uh, you know, France has this tradition of a lie ally but not aligned with the United States. So uh, to, to uh, some member states, in particular in Central Europe and in the Baltic, uh, Baltic states, it looks suspicious. But um, anyway, so uh, France is actually quite a strong military ally of the United States, but that's another story. Um, what I want to say is that we have a debate at the moment, which I think is very interesting in that respect. It's about this... Um, ammunition, uh, production of ammunition to help Ukraine. And, uh, uh, you know, there's this European peace facility, which has been, uh, set, um, I mean, which has been used to, um, to uh, reimburse member states for the, the, the military assistance to Ukraine. And there's a particular emphasis now put on production of ammunition because there's a, a shortage of ammunition produced in, in, in Europe and, and Ukraine really badly needs those uh, ammunitions. And what happens is that, so this is European money, right? This is European taxpayers' money put aside to produce ammunition for Ukraine. So logically, you would think it should go to European industry, Okay. And that's what France was pushing. That, that, that you could call it strategic autonomy. Um, we are producing our own weapons uh, with our own money for Ukraine. The problem is, of course, uh, European indus defense industry is not apparently able to produce so much, as much uh, ammunition as Ukraine needs. So it has to be bought elsewhere, and it will be bought probably in the United States. Yeah. So, um, which is okay, but the, the emergency is to deliver ammunition to Ukraine. So whatever it comes from, you know, South Korea, US, whatever, uh, and if possible, Europe. Uh, but this is, you know, I think it's a quite a good illustration of this debate. It's Europe should be able to produce its own um, uh, equipment, you know, which is paying for, which the taxpayers are paying for. Right. Uh, I think, you know, I, I think w the way you, you, you describe it, I think that would be very much welcome also in the Eastern Europe, that you, you're building capabilities of, of Europe, right, to, to be able to confront potentially hostile powers like Russia 
or terrorism or, or other issues that might occur. Mm. I also wanted to uh, to ask you about uh, something that has been discussed. Uh, well, disappeared maybe because of the controversy around uh, around Macron um, remarks. This uh, this concept which uh, Macron uh, laid down, I think, last year at this conference uh, with the ambassadors, the puissance d'équilibre, the power of balances, because it's very kind of interesting. I, I suppose to some extent new concept of of France, but perhaps it's more than France. It's, it's, it's kind of vision for, for Europe to be this balancing power uh, within the, the world diplomacy. Do you think that this is another concept which might be interesting to discuss? Or do you think that there is really something going on and uh, that this more assertive, sometimes confrontational, even towards allies, uh, way that Macron is communicating, it's, it's a sign that uh, it's least France, but maybe... Uh, most of the Western or part of the Western Europe, maybe the whole EU, would go along this this power of balances, or is it is it just a concept to discuss, you know, in the newspapers and not the real diplomatic uh, practice of of, of France, or, or a concept to be dis- discussed with uh, in ambassadors' uh, conferences? Yeah, you know. I- Personally, I don't think it's going very far, this this concept. First, it's very difficult to translate because it's puissance d'équilibre in plural, balances, you know. So balancing power in English is not uh, exactly the, 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 the perfect tra- the translation. There's no perfect translation. So that's already quite a good sign that maybe it's not such a clear concept. Huh? Um, because strategic autonomy... You know, it's um, it also this expression is now not so popular, but it can be translated or, or adapted to other con- other uh, expressions like uh, sovereign European sovereignty, uh, strategic responsibility, whatever. You have several expressions which because which can be um, more palatable to to other languages. I know that, for instance. Autonomy in German is not um, popular because it's closer to autocracy, you see, for instance. So, so the Germans prefer talking about strategic sovereignty rather than strategic autonomy. What, you know. So this is, I think, the concept of strategic autonomy is easier to understand. Uh, balancing power, to me, is just confusing. You, balancing between what and what, who is balancing, uh, is France alone supposed to be a balancing power. Of course, it's too small for this. So is Europe as a whole, uh, but then you need to bring, you know, allies and coalitions to, to, to your, uh, closer to your concept, which is not uh, happening. So um, uh, I don't think this will go very far, personally. And I, because uh, we are getting slowly to the end of the podcast and uh, we also uh, have uh, the, our, the transcript then translated and written down in Polish, published in Poland, I could not resist not to ask you as you spent quite some time in, in our region and, and in my, my home country about do you, do you think that it will be possible, providing that this government, uh, God forbid, <laughs> Uh, remains in power that this vision that Morawiecki laid, laid out, uh, um, this more kind of sovereign, national sovereign vision of, of Poland, of perhaps of the region, could be somehow integrated into the broader European context. You wrote a column about it, uh, and I think it's quite a challenge to 
try to integrate both Macron's vision and, let's say, Morawiecki's vision for mm-hmm. Europe. Do you think that somehow the bridges could be built even though Poland has violated rule of law and has this whole disputes opened with the, with the European Union? Do you think that because of the war, for example, that will be possible? Or a kind of pragmatist solution might be found uh, to, to, to reconnect both, both sides uh, of, of Europe? Uh, you know, I don't know how you can be uh, for United Europe uh, at the same time attacking uh, your partners uh, like France and Germany uh, all the time. It's um, <laughs> uh, it's it's a difficult um, concept. I mean, I know there's uh, there's an, an election in Poland uh, later this year, so that probably makes things more. Um, more difficult at the moment, but there are so many huge challenges waiting for um, European Union at the moment. I mean, the enlargement, uh, for instance, you know, this is going to happen. It has to happen. Enlargement to Ukraine and to Moldova and to the Western Balkans. And this is a huge challenge for Europe. So if we uh, we're not even there yet, and we are fighting each other in in this way. It's 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 a recipe for disaster. So um, um, no, I think the rhetoric should be lowered, <laughs> uh, and uh, everybody should uh, should uh, have a very serious look at the future of European Union and what uh, all our uh, common interest is. And if, of course, Poland's interest is is within is within Europe. And of course, uh, dynamic, the intra-European dynamic are going to evolve. That's for sure, because, you know, um, I don't think this idea of shift of, gra- of, of the shift of the center of gravity to the east is so simple. There is a new dynamic, of course, but, you know, that doesn't mean that the power is just shifting eastward so simply or so clearly. But there are new dynamics and we have to work on them together, both France, Germany and Poland and the Baltic states. Uh, but we really do have to work uh, seriously about them and, and try to be more creative and, and, and more open, not, not working still on the, on the old divides. I think this, this thing of, of, of uh, reviving this concept of old Europe and new Europe is, is just so anachronistic. It's not, it's not uh, adapted to the, to, 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 uh, to the present time. Yeah, totally agree that it would be quite dangerous if instead of trying to build new narratives and, and using this, you know, it's, this war is terrible, but it's perhaps too big, too good a crisis not to be not to be used, right, as an opportunity. Uh, well, um, Sylvie Kaufmann, thank you so much for for being with us and your insightful comments today for Liberal Europe. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Is all for today. Uh, please tune in for Ricardo Silvestre next week. Until two weeks, um, goodbye. You can find this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. And if you like what we are doing and want to help spreading the liberal values, please give us a five-star review and share with your friends.